Thanks, Thomas. Thank you, Amy and Jim, for joining us this morning. It's a, it's a joy to have you guys. Matt, thanks for joining them this morning. Um, it's good to give John a, a break and um, in, in ministry, you need that. Uh, sometimes it's forced. That was my break last week, uh, a forced break by the Lord <laughs> uh, with some sickness. And so I'm very thankful, though, uh, for David and uh, just his teaching. Do you remember the three words from last week? Huh? Okay. I'll remind you. I'll remind you. Awesome. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick. All right. Thanks, Brian. That's good, man. All right. That's good. Well, hey, before we get to the text, before we get to the text, I can give you two dates. Two dates to remember. They're coming up. March 1st through the 3rd is our Disciple Now weekend. And so that's, yeah, I love that. Um, it's, it's for our middle school and high school students, but I, but I really, as a church, I want you to pray for that weekend. Disciple Now is always a big weekend in the lives of students, and, and it always was for me growing up, and uh, through the years, just it impacts, it impacts students. So here's, here's a couple things I want you to pray about. I'd I love for you, and I want you to know if this is something really you need to pray about, but I'd, I'd love for you to, to volunteer in some way. Um, be a host home if you can for some students in your home, Okay. And so if you're a host home, it doesn't mean you're, you're leading their Bible study time and, and all that. Man, you are just hospitality, the gift of hospitality. You're, you're just showing that to these kids. And, um, and so would love for you to be a part of the weekend. Uh, find George. George is right here. He's waving his hand. George has a nice full beard going on right now, so you can't miss him. Um, and so uh, he'd love to hear from you. Uh, sooner, better. Um, and uh, it's going to be an awesome weekend. So students are here right now. I just want you to hear. The prayer is we, we'd love for this weekend to be one of the best weekends of, of your year. All right? We're, we're praying for that. We, we want that for you, that you would really um, connect with the Lord, grow in community around the things of God. And uh, so it's going to be a neat weekend. So first and through the 3rd of March. And then March 23rd, uh, all these are in your bulletin. So in case you... Forget, there's points of reminders in there. So uh, March 23rd is uh, our uh, gospel conversational training uh, that we're going to have here. We're hosting it from 9 to 3 on Saturday. Great opportunity to come and get uh, a method on how to share the gospel uh, in a conversational way and uh, learn how to uh, disciple others. We want to train you. This, this is not going to be, you know... Six hours of teaching. This is going to be uh, six hours of training um, and with a, about probably about 20, 30 minutes of teaching involved. But, but we really want to train you. Part of that, we're going to go out. I know that sounds very overwhelming. David said that last week. But hey, you're going to have uh, people there to help you, mentors, uh, trainers. They're going to come and, and as a group take you out door to door and to practice this, okay? Um, and, and so I want to encourage you to, to sign up for March, March 23rd. Uh, we've been talking about it for a few weeks, but I really, really want to encourage you to do that. You can do that on our, our website. You can RSVP. So we'll have breakfast, we'll have lunch for you. Um, and so those two, two uh, dates are significant and coming up. Uh, this morning, as, as Thomas read for us in Luke chapter 20, that's where we find ourselves. We've been going through Luke just over a year now. We're going to wrap it up around Easter time. Um, and as we look at today's text, the one word pops out. It, it's authority, authority. 
Now, when you hear that word, I imagine there's many different things that run through your head. Okay? For some, it, it could immediately be someone who, who um, misused their authority. For some this morning, it could be a key authority in your life that was significant and meant a lot to you. Meant a lot to you. But when we think about the word authority, it's, it's filled with a lot of meaning. Um, when, when you hear that word, it has a certain force about it. Um, for some, it may be intimidation. When we talk about different authorities, we, we think about uh, one who has a, a rightful um, privilege to rule, to give oversight, to in some capacity, to give influence, to have some sort of, of power, control, they have responsibility beyond the norm. And so when we think about that, we, we think about an authority, we think about, well, we're to show respect to authority. Even maybe a sense of fear, maybe a sense of awe as well to these who determine things, who decide things, who render judgments, who wield certain rights and, and privileges. We say in the home that the authority rests with the parents. We say uh, there are authorities in government, those we elect. The police have authority and govern us. In the schools, there are authorities. In business, at our job, there are many different dimensions of life where we see authorities. But when we think about authority, sometimes we don't want someone over us. Sometimes we want to buck authorities. We want to do our own thing. And so, this morning, Jesus addresses authority. He addresses his authority. Um, as he does this morning, I, I want us to think about a few things. We're going to see his authority questioned. We're going to see his authority rejected. And the result of that rejection is, is a certain destiny for those who do. And then I want to talk about how do we acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ in our life? What does it look like biblically? This morning, there is one. There is one who has absolute authority that surpasses all authorities. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 28, verse 18, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All authority, Jesus says, is mine. That's an amazing claim to great privilege. Jesus has all authority. He is sovereign over everything. Do you believe that today? Is that your belief? We just declared our belief in Jesus and his death and his resurrection. Do we believe in the authority of Jesus Christ over our own life? Because this is personal. It's personal. Do we believe in the authority of Jesus? Last week we saw Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Humbly come as the Messiah there was a crowd, probably hundreds of thousands that are there. Uh, they're shouting, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. He comes and he weeps over Jerusalem, over its brokenness, over its lostness. He comes into the temple and he drives out the money changers. He's totally turning things upside down. And so we see Monday, we see Tuesday of what is Passion Week. And then on what many believe Wednesday is his last day of what we would call temple teaching. 
And here he is teaching. And that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 20. And his authority is going to be questioned. It says this, On one of the days while he was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests, the scribes with the elders, confronted him. And they spoke, saying to him, Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, or who is the one who gave you this authority? Now, it wasn't out of the ordinary that you, someone would go up and, and ask a question to a, a rabbi, especially one teaching. But these religious leaders had a motive. They were trying to trap him. And they confront Jesus. These chief priests, these elders, they are part of the Sanhedrin. They're those who were the religious leaders of Judaism, of the people of that day, namely the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And they come up to Jesus, and really they ask two questions. First, what authority do you have to teach and preach the gospel? What authority do you have to do the miracles that you've been doing? What authority do you have to come and do what you did in the temple yesterday? What authority do you have to come and just upset our whole religious system? Second, who gave you this authority? And so what authority does Jesus have? We read just a bit ago in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and in earth. How do we see that? How do we see the authority of Jesus throughout Scripture? We see it in many different ways. His act as the creator of all things, the creator of all life. So interesting in our day when we see leaders in positions of authority like in New York and in other states using their position of authority to say that they have the right over life in the womb. Jesus has authority, yet man tries to usurp that authority in many different ways. But Jesus is the creator. You see, this world talks nothing of creator rights. They will talk about human rights. They, they will talk about rights to pets and put people into prison for hurting a dog. I'm not for hurting a dog, but good night. We'll put a, someone in prison for doing something to a pet, but we'll give seven years, this is part of our, our story, my wife's story, we'll give seven years to a murderer and let him free. What? What kind of messed up world is this? Okay, it's so backwards in our world. It, 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 we want authority. We want to call the shots of what's right and what's wrong. But there are creator rights. You see, Jesus is the creator. And as Christians, that's what we live by. We live by creator rights because he has all authority as the creator of life, of all life. He's the life and the breath that, that everyone has. He gave it to us. So he has the rights alone. He is also the sustainer. Paul says this in Colossians. He's the sustainer of the world, everything in it, by the word of his power, Hebrews 1. He's the sustainer of all things. The, word, the reason this thing doesn't go crazy on us <laughs> with everything that goes on is because he's sustaining it. He's sustaining it. 
Another thing is we see it in his governing of nature. Look at the Gospels. You see that all over the place. He calms the sea. We see it in his sovereignty over Satan and all his demons as he calls demons out of those who are possessed. We see his oversight. We see his governance over all the affairs of history. For example, the kings, right? Proverbs 21, 1, he directs the direction of their heart. You see, God is in control of all of this, okay? So, so that means a little bit, don't freak out too much, right? Sometimes there's freak out mode. I'm like, good night, dude. God is in control. Now, should we be burdened? Yeah. Burdened, yeah. Burdened, yes. And pray, you yes. Should we weep? Yes. But man, sometimes we forget. He is in control. He's in charge. He is in charge. And we live in a world that usurps that authority and uses that authority for, for different ends and means. But God is in control. Believe that. He has authority over all diseases. He has authority and, and sovereignty over sin. He has sovereignty over conversion. He is the one who turned the heart of Caden and Chase to bend the knee to his son. God is doing that. Jesus is doing that. He draws men to himself. And he bought that salvation. And he says this in John 10, 18, no one has taken my life away from me, Jesus says, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, he says. I have authority not only to lay my life down and die, but I have authority to take it up again. Jesus made his life a substitute for us. He put himself on the cross. It was part of God's will so that we could have life eternal. He laid it down and he rose it up again. He has the power of conversion. He has authority over it. He is sovereign, he's sovereign over death. Not only his own death and resurrection, but yours as well. Yours as well. Your days are numbered. Mine are numbered. Right? And for the believer, Paul tells us that because of the authority of Jesus Christ, the power of death has no power over us because Jesus has conquered it, because he's conquered the grave. That's the kind of authority that he has. Praise the Lord. And he has absolute authority and power over his church and its mission. And it cannot fail and will not fail. Jesus has absolute authority, church. Believe it. Believe it. Second thing is, where did this authority come from? Because that's their question. Hey, where'd you get this? Who, who gave you the right to teach this, to heal, and to come in here and mess up our system of religion? Who gave you the right? Well, one text I love, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. I, I love this. God says, as the prophet writes, remember the former things long past, for I am God, the Lord says, and there is no other, I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have been done, saying, my purpose 
will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Because Jesus is the Son of God, he has always had total authority in heaven and on earth. He's always had it. And so Jesus does not have this positional authority. It's it's not something that's been granted to him like some elected official. He is God. He has absolute authority. He always has. Now, in this same gospel, in Luke 10, 22, Jesus makes this statement. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And so the authority of Jesus, the Son and the Father, they are intertwined, intertwined. That's the point that he is making in Luke. And so he has had absolute authority, and even now, as the Son of God, who now is in human flesh, the Father has given him authority too as the God-man. And so what does this mean? Jesus is saying, I have authority. I have all authority over everything. I always have. I always have. And even now, as he's standing before these religious leaders, as a man, he has authority over heaven and earth. And the Father affirms it over and over again. And so Jesus has absolute authority over everything. And he has authority because he is God. And the Father affirms that. And so look what Jesus says to these guys with this question. He says in verse three and four, he answers them and he says to them, I will also ask you a question, okay? Which was also very common back then. A lot of times when there was debates between rabbis or religious teachers, there would be questions just peppered and then you would come back with a question, right? And so Jesus does that. He says, you tell me, was the baptism of John, speaking of John the Baptist, from heaven or from men? And so Jesus' response here is, is masterful as he responds to this question. And he wants to catch these religious leaders in their own trap. And so he asks them, he said, the baptism of John was from what source? What do you believe? Was it from heaven or was it from men? And so what does Jesus do here? He goes back to the ministry of John. He goes back to the ministry and the baptism of John asking what the source of his ministry was. Now, when we think about John the baptism and his ministry, he came baptizing, right? And do you remember in this very gospel what was written about John and his ministry in Luke chapter 3? It says that John came into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of what? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And his ministry was pointing to Christ and pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. And so John was that prophet, the one before. He was that forerunner that was prophesied about, that he was to hand off this ministry and point to the one who is the ultimate one who can save people from their sins. And so Jesus asked the question, where do you believe his ministry came from? The baptism of John, where do you believe that came from? Did it come from heaven or did it come from men? So listen to their response. They say, together, they start reasoning. And they say, if we say from heaven, he will say then, why do you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was 
a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. So here's the dilemma that these guys are dealing with, these religious leaders. If we respond with from heaven, then we're morally bound to believe John and that he was pointing to Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God, and he was the way to enter the kingdom. So they would have to accept not only John, but they would have to be basically accepting what he said about Jesus as well. And so they weren't going to do that. If they say men, then you would have the people to deal with. Because the people liked John. They saw him as a prophet. And to speak against a prophet would be a stoning of death, imprisonment for sure. And so these guys are in this position. And what is this position? I love what William Barclay calls this place that they're in. It's called deliberate assumed ignorance of cowardice. You like that? That's a great way to say they are. Let's, let's, I was, uh, that maybe wasn't too nice. And so they, they're fools, right? They're wimps. <laughs> it's where one is, is worried about what is safe to say versus what is the truth, Right? So what are they worried about? Self-interest. They are worried about seeking their own advantage, what others think about them. They're thinking about their position, right? They may be thinking about their paycheck. What they say here is big. They want to protect their image. Is it safe to say this? Is it PC, right? Is it politically correct? That's what they're thinking. And so they respond with this. We do not know where it came from. Wow. These religious leaders who supposedly have great authority, right? Religious authority. They they represent God to the people. Right? Remember, I mean, the whole system is going on, the sacrificial system. They they are the mediator between God and the people. And they say, we do not know. We do not know. And so they lack, Jesus reveals, they lack authority to examine John and his ministry. They're more concerned about self-protection, self-advancement, self-promotion than anything else. They struggled with Christ's authority. They struggled with his identity because they're blinded. They're darkened with unbelief. And so Jesus responds. He says, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. He says, I will not give you an answer. You won't give me an answer. I will not give you an an answer. You know what this is right here? And I love this. He's basically telling these guys this with these words, that I will not give you an answer either. What others think or what people think about Jesus does not dictate the authority he has whatsoever.
So here's what Jesus does. I, I love his, Jesus was just, he was witty. He was smart, beyond smart, right? I mean, look at this. He answers them with a parable. He's like, all right, guys, story time. <laughs> and this parable portrays the, the Jewish religious leaders and the rejection of Jesus' authority. So listen to what it says real quick. Let's just read it. He began to tell the people this. So the religious leaders, a little different from Matthew because Jesus is really fixed on the religious leaders in Matthew. But here, this is for the people too to hear. We'll see why in a second. He began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it out to vine growers or farmers, and went out on a journey for a long time. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers so that they would give him some of the produce of the vineyard. But the vine growers beat him, sent him away empty-handed. As he proceeded to send another slave, they beat him also, treated him shamefully, sent him away empty-handed. And he proceeded to send a third and this one also, they wounded and cast out. And the owner of the vineyard said this, what shall I do? And then he says, I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they'll respect him. But when the vine growers saw him, they reasoned with one another saying, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. And then Jesus asked the question, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Can you imagine this scene? Remember, it's, it's Wednesday. Things are heating up, and it just got hot. <laughs> this story would have been familiar. It would have been a common knowledge in this culture of, of the vineyard and, and, and farmers and land being rented out, all of this was something they knew. Isaiah 5, Psalm 80 refers to vineyards and, and speaking of God and the kingdom. And so in this story, who, is, who, who are the characters at play here? You got the man, the landowner, it's God, right? You got the vineyard, what's the vineyard? It's the nation of Israel. You've got these tenants, these vine growers, these farmers. They're the religious leaders. And then you have these slaves, these servants. He mentions three. They're the prophets of God. So throughout the Old Testament, even John, the Baptist as well. And then you have the Son. It represents Jesus, the Messiah. So you give this picture you get this picture of the reality of what has happened and what will happen even just days away and so you have this picture of what God has done he set apart the nation of Israel to be his messengers to other nations to the world to proclaim the word of God and and he it brought in prophets to teach them over time and to direct them and to be the representative of God. And, and what did they do? They, they mistreat them. They didn't follow them. They beat them. They killed them. They stoned them. You, you name it. And then God sends his son. And so this is very prophetic. They will kill him. And so... Jesus answered the question that he said at the end of verse 15, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? What will God do to them? What will God do 
to the tenants, to the vine growers, to the religious leaders, to those who reject the authority of God and reject the authority of Jesus Christ. Here's what he'll do. He will come, in verse 16, and he will destroy these vine growers. He will give the vineyard to others, right? We'll talk about the others in a second. And when they heard it, they said, God forbid it. May it never be. Why? They understand enough here, right? They don't understand the whole picture. They're blinded, right? But they understand enough that this is condemning of them. And this is against them. And Jesus says, hey, listen, there is a destiny for those who do not bend a knee here on this earth to the authority of Jesus Christ. And to those who don't, and to these religious leaders who are to be the voice of God to the people, to point the way to God to the people, he says, listen, they will be destroyed, and this work will be passed on to others. I love this. I, I was talking about this at 9 o'clock, and I had one lady. I said, hey, who's, who's the others? And she said, I just love this. She said, it's me. <laughs> I'm like... You are right. It is you. It is you. It's the church, right? It's the church. It's the church. You see, God has given us as the church, as ambassadors to the world, to hold out the light of the gospel. These guys failed in their role of authority. They misused it. They were misguided. And they say back to Jesus, God forbid, may it never be that this happened. This is a pretty strong rejection to what Jesus was saying. And so ultimately, what's the destiny of those who reject Jesus' authority? Look at verse 17, 18. But Jesus looked at them and said, What then is it that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. So Jesus looks with this glaring glance to these religious leaders and using passage they know, Psalm 18. And they say, hey, listen, Jesus does. This stone, it's rejected as something insignificant. Talking about himself, he's the stone, as something insignificant and just tossed away by the builders, the religious leaders. Not only the religious leaders, but the nation of Israel. Not only by them, but anyone who rejects the authority of Jesus Christ, just tossed away as insignificant. But those who see Jesus as the chief cornerstone, him having absolute authority, holding all things together, the giver of life, the giver of salvation, those who bend their knee and confess him as Lord, of having ultimate authority over them and their life. He's everything to them. But those that just toss the stone away it's doom. That's their destiny. It's destruction. And he says that to the leaders. He says it to the people. He says it to all who reject his authority. Philippians 2, 10 through 11, Paul said this. He said, at the name of Jesus, every knee 
will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, he, so here's the deal. Jesus is basically saying, hey, if you submit to the authority of, of his authority here on earth, to the authority of Christ here on earth, all right, in heaven, you will the same. But if you denounce, if you reject, if you throw Jesus as away as something insignificant that doesn't matter to you and you don't bend the knee to him and confess him as Lord here on this earth, guess what? Yes, 17 and 18, dust and doom. You will experience destruction, judgment upon you. And guess what? In hell, you will bend a knee to him. You will bend a knee to him. And so at some point, everyone will bend a knee to Jesus Christ. Because guess what? He is the ultimate authority over everything. The question really is when? When? In hell, it'll be too late. It'll be too late. That's the message. That's a tough one. Gosh, it's a tough one. But it's true. It's true. And so, what does acknowledging the authority of Jesus look like? I just want to close on this thought. Because we see the rejection. We see the destiny. But here's what we see. In this gospel, in Luke chapter 4, verse 32, do you remember the response to Jesus? And I just want to give you this one example that they said to him as he's teaching, they were amazed at his teaching for his message was with what? Authority. People like Jesus. They wanted to follow him, hang out with him, and, and man, get to know him. They were amazed at the things he would do, the miracles, his, his teaching. But only so far. And that's what many do. We'll acknowledge the authority of Jesus, but only so far. He's a good moral teacher. He, he's a great man. He's an important historical figure. He's a great prophet. But people fail to acknowledge him as the son of God, that he died for sin once and for all and rose again on the third day, that he is the savior and redeemer of the world. People don't want to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. They don't want to acknowledge him dying on a cross and that being significant for them and them having to bend a knee and trusting him as their Lord and Savior. But they will acknowledge. Isn't this amazing? They will acknowledge often the baby in a manger so they can celebrate Christmas. I mean, think about this for a second. In Abu Dhabi, you know where that is? United Emirates you have one of the biggest and most expensive Christmas trees in the world. In a mall there, and they have Rolexes, and they have diamond rings hanging on the Christmas tree. I don't know why. It's weird, but they do. I guess take five golden rings a little serious or something. I don't know. Um, but in that country, it's, it's illegal to believe in Jesus Christ. If you share the gospel, you will be imprisoned, if not killed. But we'll remember a holiday and put up a big tree that's supposed to represent the baby in a manger. So, so what's the point? I mean, even in the Quran, we'll, we'll, we'll give Jesus that he is a good prophet, but we'll only acknowledge him so far. Only acknowledge him so far. So Jesus will acknowledge, or excuse me, some will acknowledge the authority of Jesus 
only so far that it makes them respectful people. We'll only acknowledge Jesus as long as it doesn't mess with my comfort. I will only acknowledge Jesus on terms based on my culture. We want Jesus based on how we see religion, how we see morality. I, I will give him that, but it's got to be on terms of my culture, my religion, my morality. But when it comes to allowing him to have authority over my life, every nook and cranny, nah. It's got to be on my terms. And Jesus is not interested in your terms. Or my terms. You see, Jesus walked on the shoreline one day and he saw his, some guys. They were fishing. They didn't have a good day, though. They were tired. They were whipped. Luke chapter 5 tells us this. Jesus gets in their boats, starts teaching, and Jesus says to the guys, come on, let's go out and fish again. And they're like, are you kidding me? We've had a long day. We're beat. We're tired. That's the last thing we want to do is fish some more. We didn't get any fish. Jesus says, let's get in the boat. They go out. They fill up boat's load of fish. Breaking the nets. I mean, you name it. They need help. So many fish. You got James, John. You got Simon, Peter. Blown away, amazed. Peter even starts confessing sin right there on the scene. <laughs> Amazing. And it says this, immediately they dropped their nets and they left everything to follow him. Because Jesus said, come and follow me. You see, the command of Jesus, come follow me, is not, hey, think about this for a while. Right? Think about if you want to maybe follow me and then let, let's come and talk about it. No, never said that. Jesus said, hey, maybe you want to follow me? I mean, yeah, check the box. Yes? Okay, maybe I'll, I'll follow up with you. And, and if it's, no, uh, you know, get back. No. Jesus said, come follow me. In the Gospel of Mark, you remember what Jesus says? Hey, listen, those, right? need to repent and believe and drop their nets and come follow me. That's the gospel. That's what it looks like to acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ. And so church, is he the absolute authority of our life? Does he got every nook and cranny is he sovereign? Is he authority? Are we bending? Are we acknowledging his authority in every nook and cranny of our life? You may be here today and you may be thinking, okay, listen, you know, right now I'm sitting here and I'm realizing I'm running the show. I'm running the show. And you may be here and you may be thinking, you know what, I, I need to do that. I need to repent. Repent means to turn from the direction I'm doing from leading the show to now turning to him and letting him lead my life completely and trust in him that he died for me, just like Caden and Chase did today, and, and, and believe in your heart 
and drop the nets, give up control of, what your li- of your life and all that you're doing and submit to him. That's what Jesus is calling for. Have you done that today? Have, have you done that? The thing is, we will either here on this earth or we will in hell. That's the honest truth. And so he calls us to repent, believe, drop our nets, and follow him. Let's pray.